Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and uh, become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. Well, before we do get started, I do want to encourage you to pick up your copy of Slime Incorporated. It's my first detective novel in which Boise-based private detective Paul Eustick finds himself thrust into a prominent murder investigation. With political double-dealing and skullduggery, he has to uncover the truth behind a series of deaths or become the next victim. Pick up Slime Incorporated as a paperback or ebook. And you can pick up all my books through our store at store.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for today's episode of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Uh, the original air date, October 29th of 1949, and this one is The Green Witch. This time she had hair spun from a red sunset, skin as smooth as warm honey in a generous mouth that laughed without moving. She was beautiful, except for her cold green eyes. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, star of Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Green Witch. mortal man had tiptoed over the face of the earth, holding cold hands with fear and starting at each new shadow which the harvest moon cast. That still another twisted, grotesque goblin thirsting to drink dry a human soul. <laughs> I read that in a book once. Read something else, too. The Vigil of Hollow Mass is a genuine spook show. It definitely started downhill with the Romans, as did almost everything else. Until now, Halloween has come to mean gate-stealing trick-or-treat. And of course, the malpractice is soaping and chalking everything in sight. So today, unless you're really on your toes, you're under 12, and I'm neither. The 31st day of October, 1949, could easily have appeared as just that and no more. Until a worried man named John Bishop entered my office. I said trick-or-treat, and so he unfolded a $100 bill and came right to the point. Marlowe, four days ago, a man I once knew broke out of an Illinois prison. My testimony in court a year ago sent him to that prison. Now I'm afraid he's coming after me for revenge. Uh, His name is Dale Estes, and I want you to protect me from him. Is he here in L.A., Mr. Bishop? There, I'm not certain. However, this morning, a friend of mine told me of a man in a shabby brown tweed suit who asked about me, but wouldn't identify himself. That's all the description he could give me. But uh, here, Mr. Marlowe, here's a picture of Dale Estes. It was last Thursday's paper. Uh-huh. It's a prison identification picture. When you change the clothes and remove the number, it doesn't leave much. Uh, no. Tell me, Mr. Bishop, what do you want me to do? I want you to locate this man, Estes, and keep him from killing. Police will do that for nothing. Uh, yeah, nothing, plus a lot of noisy publicity, yeah. and I don't want. Because in the first place, it won't help my real estate business any, and also I... Well, I... It's somebody you'd rather not have worrying about you, maybe. Uh, yes. Madeline Hughes, my fiancée. Mm-hmm. Uh, please, Mr. Marlowe, will you try to find Estes at once? 
as soon as possible, before tonight. Why, what happens then? Our masquerade, the Pacific Palisades Country Club. It's um, a lonely spot out there. Well, why go to the masquerade? Because if I didn't, Madeline would know there was something wrong. She'd worry, and I'd defeat my purpose. Mm. Now, Mr. Marlowe, all I can give you to go on are three things. First, Dale Estes was once an able-bodied senior. Second, he likes Spanish food. He could eat it three times a day. And third, he'd gladly give up both to watch a prize fight. He'll kill me, Mr. Marlowe. I know he will. Maybe the magic of Halloween night has something to do with it. I don't know. But when I started looking for an escaped convict who might possibly be someplace in the sprawling city of Los Angeles with murder on his mind, things began to change. First, it were ten-year-old girls prancing around in their mother's high heels, lipstick, and affectations. Then gangling boys screaming home from school via the great mischief rub. <laughs> that much was fun. Then it got dark everywhere. The kids went home and took their laughter with them. And I went looking for Dale Estes. I seemed to meet people who wore everyday faces that I was sure could be masked. People like the old lady who ran a Spanish restaurant located off a crooked alley below the street level. It started with her at the entrance to a damp, cold cave. No. No, senor. I did not ever see any man like that picture. But if I were you, I would look for him no further. There is death in his face, senor. I know. <laughs> in my imagination, even the scarred, brute face on the sweating hulk in the distant, dusky corner of the third gymnasium I tried. Seemed to belong less to a 20th century man and more to a prehistoric brute out of some dark, long-ago jungle. Nah, nobody like that ain't been watching me, did I? Nobody ain't been watching me at all for as long as I can remember. And finally... After two hours along the Santa Monica fishing piers, a hundred withered pounds of ancient mariners staring out to sea had more to say. Yes. Yes, I know Estes. Estes was standing next to me when the boiler exploded that night off New South Wales. He was killed. But I told the skipper all about that once already. His name was Estes, too. And so was the first mate, Dale Estes. Everybody's name is Estes. Hello? Hello, Mr. Bishop. I haven't run across any... Hello, listen, he's been seen again. Estes. What? Yes. Or at least a man in a shabby brown tweed. This time near my office. Uh, Marlowe, get over to 3130 North Havenhurst Drive as soon as you can. 3130, huh? Uh, yes, it's a costumer shop. Alberto's in Garrow. In Garrow. I'll meet you there. Goodbye. Bye. Alberto's in Garrow customer had at least a tangible name and occupation. His shop was tattered on in grimy windows and scarred wooden door, all immodestly marked with the proprietor's name in handsome 12-inch high gold lettered. With a card dangling from the front doorknob reading, back in 10 minutes. Mr. Alberto Zingaro. There was nothing left for me to do but wait. Until from some place within arm's reach, the conversation was declared open. You have a match, please? Yeah, I guess so. <clears throat> Here. When I raised the cup, 
McLean caught a smiling face sporting a mid-July sunburn topped by blonde crew-cut hair. I got ready for trouble. It never came. Thank you. Good night. Uh-huh. Oh, that's you. Yeah, that's me. Oh, nice. 
And uh, how handsome to feel about a man. All John said was you were an old friend. Your arm, please, Count dear. The green witch is ready. Do we drive or fly? Satan himself couldn't have done a better job in the West Palisades Country Club. A building which was long and pasted too close to the edge of the cliff that plummeted 200 abrupt feet to the churning sea below was flooded in a sickly green light. While skeletons in the trees, hanging in the restless wind by their narrow necks, danced a shadowy jig to the accompaniment of the crashing surf. A long, narrow path which ran along the cliff's edge leading to the country club entrance was labeled Dead Man's Walk and every 50 feet a life-sized dummy of an infamous man perched on the balustrade and stared blindly out to sea. Somehow, you couldn't quite laugh. However, inside, life was more pleasant. The lights were brighter, the costumes five parts fun to each part fear, and Madeline was a little prettier than possible. And when she marched me up to a grand dame who was dressed as Marie Antoinette, but who was wide enough to have also passed for four of the ladies in waiting, I couldn't make my eyes let go. Oh, Mr. Your Excellency. As a lady of suspicion, Kitty, I welcome you to our club. I said I welcome you to our club. Oh, excuse me. I mean, thank you. I mean, I'm sorry. I was looking for a friend, a beast with wings. Oh, oh, that one. John's over there near the punch bowl. That's been ever since he got here. Over there, a giant sized rum bottle for a costume. Quite appropriate, my dear. The only demon the gentleman on the inside knows is rum, believe me. And if it only. Oh, pardon me, newcomers. No wonder Marie Antoinette was executed. Hmm. Oh, that man in armor, the one with the hump on his back, heading for the veranda. He's there every two. Uh huh. Gentleman's the notorious Duke of Gloucester. Uh, Most historical hero. Mm, he looks perfectly ridiculous with that beach boy complexion. Yeah. And crew cut. Madeline, uh, you haven't potted your nose yet, huh? Mm, but it doesn't need it. Oh, yes, it does. Honest, honey, besides, I need a breath of fresh air. <laughs> I feel faint. Uh-huh. Okay. All around the town. If I fall down and break my crown, I'll, I'll, I'll bet I'll ever spill a drop. <laughs> it doesn't rhyme. No, no. Oh. How are you? It is not. I just fell down and broke my crown. What? Hey, Duke. Uh, yeah? Hey, Duke, I'd like to talk to you a moment, please. What? Talk to me? What? Who are you? Uh, yeah, I can't tell you, Matt. Pretty good. Quite deceptive. Yeah, well, maybe I can help you. For one thing, I'm an international villain of sorts, but another, just a nice run-of-the-mill guy. The kind who'd never refuse a stranger a life, remember? What? Oh, are you the guy? Uh... Yeah, the guy you asked for a light when he was standing in front of Albert Zingaro's costume shop. And before you can start talking about a smaller world we live in or start lying about how natural your appearance was there, let's have the truth. Come on, Tin Pants. Was it because of Dale Estes? Dale Estes? I... Uh-uh, you slipped. All right. What's the difference? Yes, it was because of Estes. I know that he's an escaped convict. I also know he's the one way I can get Madeline away from that worthless Mr., shall I say, Bishop? Or would you prefer the full name, John Estes? Bishop and Estes are related? Yeah, like in Brothers. Oh. Thanks, Duke. I'm much obliged. Hold on. 
Where do you think you're going? Keep your hands off, Iron Man. Your face is hanging out, you know. You'll not interfere. Not if I have... Get your hands off!
The rum bottle costume beside me was still intact. But the little man inside of his liquor was wearing thin was beginning to come apart. <laughs> that's real funny. <laughs> Some joke on the rest of them all, because that's no wax dummy, sir. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's, that's a real man. It was a man. Oh. I don't feel very well. Pull yourself well. together and give me a match. Yeah, yeah. boy. Can do a lot to a man's face. Hey, hey, this guy looks familiar to me. What is from the back here? He looks like John Bishop. He should. It's his brother. I wonder Bishop figured things would be okay from now on. Huh? What are you? Hold what it, you hold say? it. Listen. What, what's the matter? I didn't Shut know. up, will you? I didn't... Yeah, somebody's coming down the stairs. Get over there out of sight and keep quiet. As I made to the foot of the stairs, I looked up in time to see a hunchback monster in armor, half hidden in the writhing yellow mist, duck back from the edge. Down the stairs. Was the Duke of Gloucester again asking for another punch on his front hand jaw? So I took the slippery step two at a time as far as the first blind corner where I found out that he beat me to it. Oh, that even the stop, mister. Not for long, bud. I'll trick you. Next time. I knew you meant trouble. Now I know what kind. That's enough out of you. Stand still. What? A gun. I know you don't. You killer. Sudden lunch in the dark caught me off guard, and my 38 went spinning away into the night. And the fog in the night coupled with a useless three-minute search for my gun was all he needed. By the time I got up to the clubhouse terrace again, the Duke was gone. I was met instead by the ever-merry Marie Antoinette, only this time without giggles. What the is going on out here anyway? Funny, baby. Did you see that phony hunchback, the Duke of Gloucester? See him? Oh, I certainly did. Oh? He practically ran over me, shouting something about a phone call. Oh, when I see that group... Way to go, inside. Don't you boys know it's dangerous? Later, baby, later. Right now, I want to know... Hey, wait a minute. That bracelet there on your wrist, where'd you get it? Well, it's the band of the ladies' auxiliary, the West Palisade Minutemen. The what? The City Settlement Club. Look, do, do all members have a thing like that? Of course. It's got the club crest on it here. The ladies have bracelets, and the men... I know what the men wear. I just saw one. And if it means anything like I think it does, I'd better find Madeline Hughes, but fast. Have you seen her? Madeline? Well, now, let me see. Yeah, she's the witch, the witch, the green oh, witch. Yes, yes, yes. Well, uh, the last time I saw her, she was walking down toward the fountain with that wonderfully horrible Mephistopheles. Oh, she and John Bishop, Bishop are a perfect couple tonight, don't you think? But I think right now would scare you cross-eyed, sister, but thanks for the tip. I'll see you. I ran past the row of wax fools guarding the terrace railing and over to the gate where the flagstone path started. And I walked as fast as I could without stirring up echoes, down into the little sheltered alcove where the fountain was. There I saw them standing close together beside a pale marble bench, half hidden in the shadows. A beautiful green-eyed witch and a horned nightmare with huge, leathery wings hulking over Will her. you listen to me? John, make up your drunk. I've never seen you like this before. Well, I've got reasons. Dale is here in town right now. What? Yes. That means one thing. He's found out about us. He knows what we did to him. Wait a minute. I didn't lie in court about him. You did. But you didn't object when you found out. Instead, you celebrated by getting engaged to me. All right, John. Are you sorry? I played it the way I saw it. I've got me to worry about. But he went to prison with the idea that you loved him, Madeline. In fact, he was trying to get his hands on enough money to keep you happy when the cops caught him. Okay, I'm expensive. If he couldn't afford me, that's his problem. And his love, Madeline. Whose problem was that? John. What are you doing? John! I'm not John, what? Madeline. I've already taken care of John. I'm Dale. Oh. And you really are a witch, Madeline. So I'm going to strangle the life out of you like you did me. Hey, I, 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 
Stay back, you. Take one more step and I'll plug you. Just a laugh, that's easy, because it won't be any good. You're trapped here. Yeah, well, I'm going to get you, Nosy. And then her. And after that, all I got to do is walk across the dance floor in there and out the front door. And in this rig, I won't even be noticed. You won't make it, sucker? No. <laughs> well, stop, will you? Your gun jammed, sucker. Now what? Are you lousy? Here. Take it. Oh. My shoulder and arm were numb from the bullet. I could feel my shirt front getting warm and sticky as I tried to follow him. But the flagstone pass was ten miles long. And my legs were melting. I saw him go to the ballroom door and I made it over to the side of the building for support. But I knew I'd never catch him. I looked in the window and I saw him start across the floor. A garish horned beast with wings shoving his way to freedom. A milling mob of prancing demons. I was flashing out. I knew it. I tried to yell to stop him. But the crowd inside was going crazy. Laughing and cavorting around the beast with wings. Clawing at him. Holding him. Shoving him back to the door. I saw him fighting and then go down as a horde of screaming creatures closed over him. And then everything went black. shot, remember? Four hours ago at the Halloween party? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lester, you got away, huh? Got away? No, he didn't. I just came from police headquarters where Estes confessed. Want me to tell you about it? Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, I dreamed it. Well, Estes killed his brother, John Bishop, out in the terrace before the dance began. He traded his brown tweed suit for Bishop's Mephistopheles costume so he could move around inside. Yeah, that's right. Almost was caught there by little Harry, the rum bottle, remember? Mm-hmm. But when the coast was clear, Esty threw the body over the cliff and went in to dance in Bishop's Mephistopheles costume. Fine Madeline, yeah. Now, look, I know this already, but after he shot me, he was a cinch to escape. That's where it gets fuzzy. What happened then? Brother, as handsome a piece of irony as I've ever seen. The Mephistopheles costume that Bishop wore... Don't tell me. Yeah. Well, first prize. That's all. The crowd wouldn't let Estes leave until he received the award and unmanned. Oh, it's quite a scene. Police I called when I thought you were a killer showed up to take him away. Then we found you and Madeline out on the terrace and brought you here. And a happy Halloween to you, too. How's Madeline? Fine, thanks to your efforts. She's waiting outside now. I'll send her in, huh? Mm. She's awake now, Madeline. Oh, okay. Uh, don't wait for me, Bruce. Hello, handsome. Hello, beautiful. Your throat's bruised. Mm, could have been worse. You figured it out just in time. Uh, Dale even had me fooled. His voice was so good. How'd you manage it? Yeah, the corpse was wearing a wristwatch band from the Palisades Minuteman Club. They gave me the switch. And I knew it was Dale in the costume. I figured his only reason for impersonating his brother was... And he didn't even have a gun when you cut in on him. That took a lot of nerve, Hanson. Well, Don't mention it. Uh, where'd you get the lights as you leave? Not so fast. You heard some pretty bad things about me tonight, and probably thought up a few of your very own. Matter of fact, I did. You got that kind of face. Cast spells. Gotta be careful with it, baby. 
Now, uh, will you catch the lights on your way out, please? Wait I, I... a minute. I'm going to tell you something, too. I've been sent scared in the middle of the night, and I've been thinking things are going to be different from now on. Yeah. Who's next, Bruce Wiley? Mm, I haven't decided. But whoever he is, Marlo, he'll be the only one, and he'll know exactly where he is. Does that help? Now let us see it happen first, baby. Okay. I'm going away for a while, but I'll be back. Watch for me next Halloween. Yeah, wouldn't you crush your life, life on the way out. Madeline left. Sleep left with her. I got out of bed, went over to the window, and looked out. The sky and the ocean were still dark. But over in the east, the first glow of dawn was starting on the horizon. And the goblins flew screaming into the mist until next Halloween. At that moment, something moved across the fading moon. Something that looked very much like a beautiful witch. With hair red as a sunset and cold green eyes. And then, then I saw something else on the white sand of the beach. The scarred witch's costume in green, and beyond it, just for a moment, I thought I saw Madeline leaning against a rock and looking out to sea. I never found out if it was Madeline or not. Because then the sun came up. And she and the costume and the light were gone. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Eve McVeigh, John Daner, Paul Freeze. Welcome back. All things considered, this is an incredibly good episode. It was probably a lot more rare. It was for uh, programs to uh, have Halloween-based uh, episodes. The Adventures of Sam Spade approached a Halloween story by just going, you know, totally over-the-top sort of a uh, comedy sort of feel. What Marlowe does uh, in, in this program without going to any sort of weird, strange happenings or literal ghost or witches or anything like that, he creates a, it's, it's a great atmosphere and mood. You get a sense that Marlowe is not a fan of Halloween. I get the sense it's because he's dealt with so much real death and darkness and so really just cannot get into this holiday at all. His feelings you know, somewhat mixed, and other parts he just absolutely didn't uh, care for at all, it really creates just a great backdrop to the story. Now, I will say that the writing for the revelation of the murderer and his motive was a bit uh, melodramatic, but uh, you had John Daner delivering the lines, and so I think it came off pretty well, actually. So this was a really uh, intriguing and interesting uh, episode, I thought. It was kind of an interesting contrast with Crime and Peter Chambers because Marlowe was a lot more hesitant about uh, putting on a costume than uh, Peter Chambers was. But then again, Peter Chambers was just going to a normal masquerade ball and uh, I think kind of Marlowe's mixed feelings on uh, 
Halloween may have contributed a little bit to his reluctance. Uh, anyway, listener comments and feedback, and I know we just finished Man from Homicide yesterday, but since we're not going to have any more episodes, I uh, did receive an email from Christy. Uh, who writes in regarding uh, the second episode we played of Man from Homicide. If we were still playing the show, I would have waited until its day in the rotation. But since we're done with it uh, after this week, uh, we'll go ahead and address it now. Uh, she says, I've been uh, mostly listening to Sherlock Holmes, but catch up every few days on the rest of it. Today I heard uh, the third episode of Man from Homicide. And wow, it was dark. Like, really dark. I can handle most of it, but this was almost too much. How he handled each he's dead felt overly cold and almost cruel. Um, I can definitely say that. Uh, Lieutenant Dana was a very cold uh, character. And, um, while really the show ended up being a summer replacement, you can definitely see reasons why it wasn't picked up. Um, you know, this is the type of thing, you know, I think might have uh, gone over, say, if uh, we had a radio in the 1970s when you had the Death Wish movies and Dirty Harry. Really didn't work too well in the 1950s, and I definitely would not probably enjoy old-time radio detectives if they were all like Lieutenant Dana. But if there is a spectrum from nicest detective to meanest detective, uh, I'd put Lieutenant Dana over on the mean side with probably Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons, his polar opposite. And I, I guess uh, one reason I do answer this on Philip Marlowe is I think that Marlowe really uh, you know, I, I find it fascinating. You know, we played Pat Novak for hire, uh, right, you know, uh, before this and also, uh, opposite, uh, Philip Marlowe on Wednesday. To me, it does create kind of a contrast. I mean, I think that both, um, uh, Pat Novak for Hire and Man from Homicide have merits, but they don't get the hard-boiled detective genre exactly right. And I think Philip Marlowe comes as close as any show does to that because it deals with uh, a seedier side of life and with some dark moments and with a hero who is capable of unleashing righteous fury on you. Nevertheless, there's also a certain touch of kindness, compassion, humanity, and even some wistfulness that you'll find in Philip Marlowe that you won't find in heroes who, while perhaps entertaining, may be a bit too hardcore for uh, a lot of us. All right, well, that will do it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with Nick Carter. And join us next Wednesday for another episode of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.